Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Well, don't answer all at the same time there, eh? <laughs> I think we have announcements. So, nothing unusual. Services at 11, if we can manage to start on time. Prayer meeting Wednesday, 3.30, right here. Women's Bible study. Um, I'm not going to say Thursday at 10.30 because we do want to move it to Wednesdays. We have had an overwhelming vote for a Wednesday morning so that ladies could attend the uh, information sessions at the library on Thursday mornings. Very often the ladies have to choose between what they want to do and what not, so we've decided to change it. And we're going to start this Wednesday. So I'm going to let you know. I'll send the ladies a text. Then just a reminder about the Nobis mission, Friday evenings. Um, we arrive a little later, 6.30ish. Those who are interested, you can talk to us. We don't go every, every time because it, it does get to be a little bit much along with all the other things, but we do like to go and show our support to the missionaries. Please keep, keep praying for the ministry of the missionaries, the Montenegros with the Nobis. They are making good inroads. They're teaching them the Bible. Uh, they're really teaching them how to follow what the Lord wants them to do. And, and there's some good things happening. Uh, they need prayer for the visas to now be finalized and, and be done and, you know, just get on with that. Um, and then a reminder to, John always says, to pray for one another. If there's anybody with any needs, please make us aware of it. If you want to come for prayer after the service, we are here. We will pray with you. And then Teen Challenge food donations. If you want to give anything, we give it to the Potter Rios group because they are still all there, as you know. Good. Okay. okay. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would be with us today, Holy Spirit, in our midst as we prepare our hearts to worship. I pray, Lord, that we would leave all the things we need to leave at the foot of your throne this morning, all our weights and our burdens, our concerns and our worries, our anxieties, the things that uh, we don't need to experience because we can trust you wholeheartedly with our life. So we want to lay that down this morning as we enter into the throne room because what, of, what Jesus has done for us, that we can come into the Holy of Holies without any blood because he... He shed his own blood so that we could enter. Trip you, and that we can know you. And that your body was broken and your blood was shed because you love us so much. It's hard to comprehend. The earth is your footstool and you would stoop down and keep your eyes upon us. And that you long for us. Holy Spirit, you're jealous. God, you're jealous. You want our time. You want our affection. It's just amazing to think that the God of the universe wants me, wants you for fellowship and intimacy. Lord, I pray that you could just open our hearts and our eyes to know what is intimacy with you, what is a true relationship with you a surrendered heart, Lord. I pray that you would just be with us as we hear the word, your beautiful, beautiful, perfect word. 
It sustains us, it heals us, it reads us, corrects us, guides us, the light to our path. Lord, we just want to honor you and we lift up your word. You said it's higher than your name, your word. I just pray that you anoint dad this morning to bring the truth and to bring the fire. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning to everyone. If, um, if Bocchetti feels a bit more stable this morning, it's because the stones are back in town. <laughs> so welcome to them. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God for his uh, traveling mercies. We are dealing with James. And he said, yeah, we, we know, but when are you going to get ahead with it? Because we're still in the first few sec- uh, verses. But I want you, when you listen to James, to listen for something that has got to do with a marital relationship. There will be clues. It goes about faithfulness of one partner to the other and the reciprocating response from the other partner. So we're going to read. And by the way, I said to you, maybe you forgot a few Sundays ago, Festus was the last Roman general, uh, governor until 62 AD. He was the one that sent Paul to Caesar. Because the Jews said, no, he must come to Jerusalem to stand before the Sanhedrin. And Paul said, I haven't sinned against them, but I'm happy to stand before Caesar. Because the Lord Jesus appeared to him and said, you would be my witness to kings, to Gentiles, and to the Jews. But anyway, he died in AD 62. And then Two months. There was a two-month hiatus before the next Roman uh, governor would take over. I just slipped my mind his name. And in that time, the Jews put their hands on James, which you're going to read about today, his letter. They accosted him. And just like the devil took Jesus in his temp- uh, when he was tempted to the top of the temple, they put James on top of the temple and says, and say to him, you have to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ or else we'll push you off. And then he said the words that the Lord Jesus confessed to the Sanhedrin when they tore his, their clothes and Caiaphas tore his clothes and said, do we need any more evidence that this man is a blasphemer? He said, I see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And they pushed him down. And he fell and he broke, of course, his bones. And he was lying there still alive. And then people stoned him. And while they were stoning him, James said, Lord, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then somebody took a club and hit him over the head. And when the church came to bury him, they picked up his body, preparing for burial. They looked at his knees. And they had the knees that looked like that of a camel because of all his praying. 
He's praying for his church. He's praying his brother that he once scoffed at. He was praying to him for the church. So when James writes, he was called James the Just. He had a, he had a, a nickname that just mean, meant bulwark. It's almost like a last name like Stone. Somebody that you can build on. Somebody that you can depend on. That was his nickname. So let's read in James 1. We go to slide 1, brother. Thank you. James. And by the way, Liam, his name wasn't James, it was Jacob. Jacob. When King James, when the King James people, or the, uh, the, in, uh, when they translated the Bible, they changed all the, the Hebrew names to English. So Miriam became Mary. Yeah. Jacob became James. So, James, a servant of God. And by the way, servant is doulos in Greek, which means slave. He was a brother of Jesus that once scoffed at him. And now he calls himself a slave. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And, but if anyone, in the Greek there's a but they say, but if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. There's a clue to the marital faithfulness. In unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the, of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let not the one, one say who is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Let's look at the triad. Then desire, when it has con conceived, gives birth to sin. And, when, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. On his, of his own will, he brought forth us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's go back to verse 2. When the Bible says we have to count a joy, 
it can also say, deem it joy, or consider it joy, or reckon it joy. And when you meet trials of various kinds, that meet is like falling into trials. It means, it explains the unexpectedness of trials. Think of the Good Samaritan, the person, the Levite that went from, Jericho, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the Bible say, used the same word. He fell into the hands of the robbers. He didn't plan it. He didn't invite it. He was not traveling in a Cadillac. He was, he was you know, so, so they say it's one of the most treacherous roads in, in, in Jerusalem or in Israel at that time. But the, the point of the word that James is using here is that trials come uninvitedly, unexpectedly, but they come. And then the word says various trials. Various means multicolored, variegated. It can be anything under the sun. What is a trial to you and to you is not a trial to me and vice versa. And for those who are being accused by the evil one to say that, yes, that, remember that we said last time God is sovereign, nothing happens to us by chance. Then people say, but this trial is my, of my own doing. It was my own silliness. And you know what? God still takes care of that. You can, you can this moment, whether the trial is straight from heaven or it's coming from whatever other source or it's coming from your neighbor and, 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 and it's coming from yourself, you can rest assured it is not outside of the perfect will of God. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You and I have to know this. Your perspective of the trial that you face depends the spirit in which you approach it. That's why he says we don't feel. We know. And we know, first of all, we know God. I want you to imagine something. Imagine you are on the second floor in a building that has caught fire and all the exits are trapped and it's dark at night. And the only access you have to the outside is an open window. And this fire is raging. And you're already your eyes are watering and you're coughing and you know, I need rescue. And you look outside and you can't see anything. You, can't, you can just see black. And you hear a voice. And the voice says, jump. But you know, underneath there are many obstacles. They could be just concrete or they could be uh, shattered glass or whatever because of all the, the burning and, and so on. But you, the voice says, jump. And you cry out and you say, but I can't see you. What will you do? What is important that you know right now before oh, in your, that situation? You have to know whose voice it is. Is it right? If you do not recognize that voice, will you jump? Depends on the fire, right? <laughs> but the metaphor breaks down. So the point that James wants to make to us here, as a church, as a body of believers, as his children, we need 
to know the voice of God in the midst of the storm. And say, Lord, but I can't see you. God says, jump, because I can see you. I can see you. He says, Isaiah says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. And that is what James wants us to know. And he will come closer later on. We'll find it. We need to know God so that when the trial comes, I know he's on my side. And then he produces the testing of your faith. The faith is here without an object. It means the testing in your Christian life. The trials that come in your Christian life are designed for what purpose? Because God is mean. The sole purpose, he says, is so that you and I can learn steadfastness, which is patience. And which is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not just, it's not just learned behavior like in a war where they just get you accustomed to flying bullets and explosions. No, this is, this is a fruit of your relationship like the branch is connected to the vine. You can take plastic grapes and, and put it over the uh, vine and fool someone, but it will not fool someone who's in a trial. Those grapes have to come through hardship before the fruit of the Holy Spirit will mean anything. Until you, you may be perfect, complete, lacking in, in, in nothing. We sang the song that we will be complete before Him. That completeness is not automatic when we die. Whatever is needed will be added unto us and now we are complete. That completeness, you have to remember your eternal life has started the minute that the Lord has saved your precious soul. That's when your life has started. Your life is not divided in two halves, one when you are on earth and the other one and in heaven, and suddenly you're another person and another being. Otherwise, the Christian life and the, the fact that we have to know the word me makes no sense. You and I right now are, de are developing our eternal life so that as we have read about the crown of life which is a higher level of life than eternal life. That is the rewarded eternal life that God has for those He has chosen. And He wants you and I to see His fellowship is with mature children. Mature children are not just children with gray hair in nappies. Mature children can be 12 or 13. People who know when I am in trial, I can trust the Lord. I can rely on His Word even though I cannot see anything. Even if I doubt the voice that I hear, I will just know my Father is a good God. If anyone, but if anyone lacks wisdom, we have to know what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Here it says wisdom. 
Now, I, as a student, I always, I could quote this verse any time of the night. Woke up and say, Lord, please give me wisdom, because I wanted to pass an exam. But the wisdom that he's talking about here is when you are in the midst of trial and you do not know where is up, where is down, where is left, where is right. You just sink to your knees and you, you pray the only prayer that you can pray and this is Abba, God, where are you? What do I do now? It's not the time to ask why. He will not tell you. Because what you do know, steadfastness is God's goal for me. And that is what James is asking you to know. I always shudder at time when it was for taxes due. Because somehow they always asked that extra pound of flesh, I don't know, where in this frame will you get it? Or you face an audit in your medical practice or any practice. Things like that. And you think, Lord, I've been honest all my life. Why? Steadfastness. That's what he wants us to know in these verses. So we ask for wisdom. And he, God who gives generously, verse 5, actually it goes for, it says, the giving God. Have you ever doubted that God is a giving God. He's the fountain of life. If you come to the fountain of life, you always leave wet. God cannot help himself. He is overflowing. He's generous. And he's not, it's like if I ask my dad, dad, can I borrow the car tonight? Then he will go through the last two weeks and say, how was my obedience as a son? No, I don't think so. Remember this and remember that? When I asked you to do this, remember your attitude? Take your bicycle. God is not like that. He says he, he gives generously without finding fault. But you know, we, ex we look at our own faults and sin before we ask and, we, and we, we back down. We think, oh, how can I ask God when I'm a filthy sinner like that? That's the devil's work. That's the accuser's work. You don't have to help him in that. Know that God is a generous giver without finding fault. Lord, how do I handle this trial? And now he says in verse 6, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. He is not talking about intellectual faith. Can I trust the word? Can I stand on this verse? Or, do, or, or can I not? The doubt that he is talking about is the doubt that you linger on two ideas. Think, of, think what, when Elijah was at Mount Carmel. When he had the prophets of Baal there, they have their sacri sacrifice and they were trying that Baal will send fire. And then Mount Carmel, where Elijah was. And he asked, he asked the people, how long will you linger on two ideas? Do you serve Baal or do you serve God? This is the doubt that he's talking about. And you and I are the same. When we face a trial, we have to ask ourselves, how much doubt do I have in my heart? Am I being fully committed to the Lord in all of my life? Or have I, have I a secret lover? That's what James is all about now. God here has proven, Jesus has proven to be the faithful redeemer, the faithful husband. He has laid down his life for the bride. 
He has taken everything on his shoulders. He has taken everything that God has put him through for his bride. And James said, what about you? What about you? What about your commitment to me as a husband? Are you serving me with single-mindedness? Or are you double-hearted? Are you double-souled? Are you double-tongued? God says, if you're in a trial and you have a secret lover, don't ask me for wisdom. I will not give it to you. Many times in my life, I have faced a trial without an answer. Because I wanted a certain outcome. God, is, His gifts are free, but they're not cheap. So I believe the Holy Spirit is asking we as a church today, do you serve Jesus Christ that we've sung about with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength? The Bible calls it single-eyed. That was the Hebrew influence, single-eyed. We say single-minded. Show us slide seven. No, 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 not seven. Um, slide nine. Please, brother. The Greek. Toby always says, that guy is psycho, this is psycho, everything is psycho. You know the young people. Die psychos. Double soul, psycho, psyche, soul. We say double-minded. Somebody who is double-souled, double-minded, should they, and, and they, they, they're driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't it exactly that? Isn't it exactly that when we have divided loyalty? When we in the world, we go with ourselves fully. We run for what we have. And then we in church, we raise up the other sail. And the rudder doesn't know, is it left today, is it right today? But it depends on where the wind blows. We are double-minded. God says, you are unstable in all your ways. And that is the worst situation you can be in, to be unstable in all your ways. Because you are not sure of what's happening here, and you're not certain what is happening here. And Jesus said, what did he say? Let's go to Matthew 6, um, slide 11. Matthew 6. And what I have there, uh, 22. The eye, Jesus says, is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Uh, we think that's where James got this, his word. He he knew the words of his brother, Jesus. If your eye is the lamp of the body, if your eye is right, your body is full of light. But you cannot have a good eye if you, are diplo if you have diplopia. Diplopia is double vision. Right? You can have double vision in one eye. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The sad thing is, when we serve two masters, we often don't know it because the first person you need to deceive to do that is yourself. And I know self-deception happens like that so quickly. And I just want to, you to know that um, what, how, how, how often have we heard the adversary or Satan in this passage? No. We haven't heard that. He's just dealing with your and my deceptive heart. That's all so far. But let's see what Jesus says. He says, verse 24, no man, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That mammon does not have to be money. It can be your status. It can be your profile on social media. It could be your business. It could be anything that competes for your time and your money and your passion. And I said to you, or I say to you, you have been purchased by God's own will. That's the last verse that we will read. And, and, and Brother Frank, will you go back to the last slide? On James 1.18, that's slide four. Slide four. Now, is that one? Read with me, 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Who is the he? He brought you forth by his own will. The fact that you are in the body of Christ is God's will. So how you and I dare to take another lover, that has to be explained. The Bible says we are not our own. Somebody, the living God, through Christ, gave His life to purchase you and I. And now you and I think that we are our own and we can decide how we run this race. That's what we ask to ask the Lord for wisdom. Lord, show me. Show me my heart. Show me my run. Because Jesus said you cannot. Because God demands it all. It's the main reason that Israel failed as a nation. They did not serve the Lord with all their hearts, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. And you and I cannot do that unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit, like Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. We have sung the, the, the line, your grace is enough. But it lies in our will. Is it something that we will? 
Is that something that we want? I just want to, while I'm on the topic, just go to Ephesians. You don't have that, Frank. That's fine. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I just want to read to you the marital relationship that we have. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm going to read to you James, and see, see he's saying the same. And be, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, not lacking anything. Do you hear James? Do you hear Paul? They're saying the same thing. To be mature and to be complete doesn't mean we'd never sin, but it means God's will for us as the church is sanctification. Sanctification doesn't mean we're holy and we're singing hallelujahs all day. Sanctification means you and I are set apart for the purpose of God and God alone and no other lover. So it's serious business this morning. And I believe the Holy Spirit is asking you, where do you stand? Don't you know? Don't you know we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? To give an account of the things that we've done. We cannot do things for God if we do not have the love of God. If we have not become single-minded. We are all... We are all at the end of our careers... Thank God for the blessings that He's bestowed. But we are not at the end of our Christian career. God says now, come on, Holy Spirit, run the race. Like Paul said, I, I, I've, I've kept the faith. I've won the fight. I've run the race. Let's do it. Let's go just to the last one, just the slides. I want to show you what helps when you face trials. It's a first, uh, slide eight, brother, and then seven. Andrew Murray is a famous pastor in South Africa in the 1800s. Under his leadership, there's a huge revival amongst the youth. But what he says about when he faces a trial, in my experience at trial, I will say this. There are four things. God brought me here it is by His will that I am in this tough spot and in this fact, I will trust. That's a single mind. Second, God will keep me here in His love and give me His grace to behave as a child of God. I will not run to every psychic or everybody out for counsel. I go to my knees and I pray the great prayer, Abba. Three, God will turn the trial into a blessing, teaching me lessons He intends for me to learn. And I can ask a show of hands and say, who of you can say I have had no trial in my life? 
Or who can say, thank God for the trials in my life. And some of you are in the trial and you say, I can't say that. I'm aching and hurting too much. And that is why we as the body are here to around, to surround you, to pray for you. Number four, God in His good time, if He chooses, can bring me out again. How and when He knows. He knows. Next slide now, eight. So this is a shortened version that Alistair Begg has given us. Maybe if you can memorize it or you can write it down, because surely you're going to need it. Or take a picture, yeah. I am here by God's appointment. I am in His keeping. I am under His training. I am here for this time, or for His time. Thank you. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to hear the Spirit is calling us to the great Redeemer husband that has laid down his life. No man has greater love than he who lays down his life for his friends. And you laid down your life when I was a sinner. So we want to come in this morning, Lord, and just give you glory, give you praise and give you worship and adoration. And we pray that we will take this to heart to follow you single-mindedly. To evaluate our life and to see, Lord, where do we entertain other lovers? The Bible says God is a jealous lover. He's a jealous God. Thank you, Father. The only thing we need to do is to say, Lord, I repent. Have mercy on me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you wash me in the water of your word. That you cleanse me. That you will touch my eyes so that I can be single-eyed. So that I can see the joy that is set before me. What you have for me in eternal life to rule and reign with Christ. To have the crown of life. Because you say, my good and faithful servant, you have been steadfast. The Bible says God knows how to rescue the godly from trial. Will you rescue those who are in trial right now, Lord? You know those who feel they've come to the end of their power and their strength and their tether and they can just say, Abba, rescue me. And we ask, we want to pray with them. And we want to bear their burdens and say, Lord, will you, will you make a way where there's no way? But thank you that we develop character when we face these trials. Because you are preparing a bride for the son who had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. You are preparing the bride through the same trials and tribulations to come mature and complete, not lacking anything. A bride without spot or blemish to be joined in holy matrimony for eternity. You give us eyes to see what a great salvation we have. Bless the precious people that you, you've bought them by your precious blood. There's no accusation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sin has been dealt with. God is just whispering, love me. Love me with all you have. 
Because I do. I love you. You can never doubt my love. It's been proven. And I will run the race with you. I will help you. God says, I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my powerful right arm. I am the God who rescues. That's my business. Trust me. No one who trusts in me will ever be put ashamed. Will be, be ashamed. I give you the glory this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you that we can raise, lift up our hands and praise the great Savior we have. In all his glory, we worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Father, for the empty grave. Thank you, you haven't left us orphans. You have given us a spirit in our innermost being through which we cry, Abba. Loving Heavenly Father, be honored in our lives. Bless the precious people as they go. Holy Spirit, will you make the word alive in our hearts? Let us think about these things. Let us think like adults about these things. In Jesus' name.